This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. And remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Hello, I am Private Investigator Shane Waters, host of the American Crimecast podcast, where I utilize my voice to speak out for those who have been silenced. From a nurse whose body was found hogtied but ruled a suicide, to a John Doe whose body was mutilated and dumped into a septic tank, I speak out for them all. Join me at accproductions.org. See you there. going on everybody just figured i would uh pump out a little bonus episode here before the release of my regular scheduled episodes but before i do this i kind of wanted to read one of my bad reviews ahead of time of my reviews and shout outs episode which will be coming here in the next couple days i don't know why i felt the need to address the this but uh I don't know, kind of pissed me off, so figured I'd share this with the with the bigger audience. I know a lot of people do listen to my reviews and uh, shout-outs episodes, and of course, I always get criticism for everything, let alone when I read bad reviews. I have absolutely no problem with bad reviews. Make it constructive. You could even fucking email me if you wanted to, but don't make yourself sound fucking stupid, all right? Otherwise, I'm probably going to slay the shit out of you, which is a taste of what's going to happen right now. So I get this review, and it's Thanksgiving here in America, and this is something that I am not thankful for. And I've been eating and drinking alcohol all fucking day long, pretty much. You know, for those of you who don't listen to my reviews and shoutouts episode, this is a taste of what happens when you leave a dumb fucking one-star review. This one is from S-M-R-T-R-T-H-N-U-R, and it's one star. And it says, poor audio quality. As all of my regular listeners know, audio quality is not at the top of my list of shit to fucking do when I'm trying to make a badass research detail podcast of cases that have not been done 150 fucking times. So... With that being said, let's go ahead and move forward. Lots of room for reverberations and telephone quality from the hosts. Well, that's because I record with an open mic over whatever service I can get their voice from. Says I couldn't get more than 10 minutes into any episode due to the audio quality and what seemed to be a lack of structure resulting in feeling... More like I was listening to someone's uninformed conversation. Ah, this is going to be so much fun. Okay, first of all, you couldn't get more than 10 minutes into any episode, but yet you base my entire podcast on the fact that you couldn't get past 10 minutes of any episode, even though probably half of my episodes have co-hosts. So I'm really fucking eager to know what episodes you listen to 
because obviously you probably picked the only ones with fucking co-hosts and I'm pretty sure you probably only picked maybe one or two and let's see the lack of structure resulting in feeling more like I was listening to someone's uninformed conversation if you listen to only 10 minutes of any one of my fucking episodes, you have no fucking idea about my format, what my research brings to the table, and what details I present from every case that I fucking do. So, you can get the fuck along. There are plenty of podcasts out there that are for entertainment purposes, who think they're fucking comedians, or sit around with fucking worthless banter for anywhere from half an hour to a fucking hour in a full-length fucking two-hour episode. I'm sure you can find something with a better fucking audio quality that literally, you know, just exploits whatever case just fucking happened or something that's happened a long time ago that has been done like 157 fucking times. So, you can leave your one star... I will fucking take that because I got plenty of five-star reviews. And you can walk the fuck along, just like a, uh, a Felicia. Bye, Felicia. And uh, you can just, you know, like all my other reviewers, because I do post screenshots of these bad reviews in my group. And it's really funny because when people do leave bad reviews who offer no constructive criticism or no actual facts... And you can tell which ones have actually listened to my podcast extensively or at least listened to a full-length episode or two. It's really fun to watch people tear you the fuck apart, man. And that's not even me, bro. Or lady. Or whoever the fuck you are. I don't care. So, yeah. I mean, go listen to whatever podcast you fucking like. I really don't care. I really don't need your subscription. I mean, I mean it's adorable that you guys actually think that good and bad reviews actually mean shit because they truly fucking don't. And like I said, out of all the reviews I've gotten, I don't know, since I re-switched my feed, I lost 100 reviews. Since I've redone my feed, I've gotten 100 more. Still a 4.5 star rating, dude. So, you know, what the fuck ever. Anyway, on with the show. Now I will admit, this is not my content, this is from Ranker, which is a website which has a bunch of different shit on it. It's actually a really interesting website because you can look up all kinds of weird shit. But this one is called 23 Creepy and Terrifying Details About the Green River Killer. And um, I actually posted this link in my group and my good friend Robert suggested, Hey, why don't you just make a short little bonus episode for... People who don't feel like fucking reading this. I was like, meh, good idea, bro. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and move forward. Let me light this cigarette. Okay. Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, is America's most prolific serial killer. So named because his first five victims were found along the Green River in Washington State. Between killing his first victim in 1982 and his capture in 2001, he murdered at least 49 women, most of them prostitutes or teenage runaways. During interrogation after his arrest, Ridgway admitted to more than 70 murders, though many of these remain unconfirmed. Now you're going to listen on for more creepy and terrifying details 
about Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Gary Ridgway, the Family Man Gary Ridgway was married three times, and at the time of his arrest, he and his wife lived a respectable life in a quiet area, where his neighbors thought of him as a stand-up guy. Ridgway also had a son, and would sometimes show pictures of his son to prostitutes to put them at ease before he murdered them. Yeah, that's pretty fucking weird. Next one. <laughs> he found uh, choking his victims rewarding. I'm sorry I giggled at that a little bit, but I know a few women who find choking rewarding too. <laughs> Alright. Anyway. As is expected from a serial killer, pathological liar, and necrophiliac, Gary Ridgway has said some super, super creepy things. A sampling of his sinister one-liners. Quote, I don't know if it was an illness or just a, I wanted to kill, end quote. Another one, quote, my method's working pretty good. Choking is what I did, and I was pretty good at it, end quote. And finally, quote, they look in the bedrooms, nobody's in there. Nothing's, you know, there's my son's room. Hey, this guy has a son. He's not going to hurt anybody, end quote. He preferred choking to other forms of murder because, quote, that was more personal and more rewarding than just to shoot her, end quote. Yeah, anyway. Ooh, this one's good. Ridgeway went camping with his son and the remains of some prostitutes. In 1984, Ridgway took a camping trip to Oregon, south of his home in Washington, with his son. He also happened to have the remains of two or three dead prostitutes in his car. He paid for everything in cash to leave no record of the trip, and dumped the remains in the Oregon area so as to make detectives think the Green River Killer was moving south. He then presumably had a nice camping trip with his son. Hmm. At least he displayed a little sign of intelligence there. Trust me. Not glorifying him. Just throwing that fact out there. Next one. He targeted forgotten women. Ridgway intentionally targeted women he knew the police wouldn't spend too much time getting worked up about. In a way, his crimes tell us as much about our value system as a society as they do about his warped mind. He said, quote, I picked prostitutes because I thought I could kill as many of them as I wanted without getting caught, end quote. He also focused on underage runaways and other forgotten women. Next one. He was a cheapskate. As you'd expect from his crimes, the Green River Killer hated prostitutes but maybe not for the reasons you'd think. Quote, I picked prostitutes as my victims because I hate most prostitutes and I did not want to pay them for sex. End quote. Mark Prothero, Ridgway's lawyer, had the following to say about him. Quote, I came up with the term psychofrugalpath. He was cheap to a psychopathic degree. 
when you would ask him why he would kill the girls, he would say because he would get his money back. Ladies, just fucking remember that. Fellas too. Kind of fucking weird. Next fact, and I think this is one that most of us can relate to, but probably not to the extent of Gary Ridgway. He was really weird. It's easy to see these things in retrospect, but Ridgway was always the kind of weird where you know something isn't quite right about him. For example, after six months of questioning, Dave Reichert, the head detective in the Green River Killer case, asked Ridgway if he had any questions. Ridgway responded, quote, Yeah, how come your hair is gray and your eyebrows are dark? End quote. That's a pretty random question. Next one, another interesting fact. Ted Bundy tried to help find Ridgway. After seeing a newspaper picture of Detective Dave Reichert, the lead officer in the Green River Killer case, Ted Bundy wrote him a letter offering assistance in finding the killer. Ted Bundy, the rapist, serial killer, and necrophiliac? That is correct. In his letter to Reichert, Bundy wrote, quote, Don't ask me why I believe I'm an expert in this area. Just accept that I am, and we'll start from there. End quote. Reichert took Bundy up on his offer in 1986, but it got him nowhere. Next fun little fact. He stayed eerily calm. In his typically blood-chilling, nonchalant manner, the Green River Killer explained to detectives why one of his victims was found without a head, saying, quote, The head probably rolled the rest of the way down the hill as the body decomposed. End quote. He killed so many women, he was fuzzy on the details of this particular murder, offering, quote, I picked her up someplace and went to the house and killed her most likely, end quote. Hmm. Not the best memory out there. Next one. He openly admits you can't trust him. Ridgway is the first one to tell you he can't be trusted. When interrogated by police, he openly admitted to being a pathological liar. Journalist Charles Harger said of Ridgway, quote, Gary Ridgway is absolutely playing me. He's playing everybody when he talks. I don't think Gary Ridgway can even comprehend the truth. End quote. Next fact. Ridgway stayed out of prison for decades. The Green River Killer claimed the vast majority of his victims in 82 and 83. He was arrested on a prostitution charge in 1982 and became a suspect in the case, but was released after passing a polygraph test. It wasn't until 2001 that police compiled enough DNA evidence to arrest Ridgway. At that time, he was living peacefully with his third wife, who began divorce proceedings pretty quickly. <laughs> Never would have thought that. Oh, here we go. Next one, he seems like the perfect neighbor. Charlie Harger is the first journalist to speak directly to the Green River Killer. Of his encounter with the killer, Harger said, quote, The strange thing about Gary Ridgway 
as if you didn't know the depravity, if you didn't know the evil that this man committed, you would have no clue when you talked on the phone with him. This man seems like the perfect neighbor. End quote. Hmm. Next one. He joined a single parents group to meet women. In the early 1980s, as Ridgway killed dozens of prostitutes, he would also attend meetings of parents without partners. The organization was designed for single parents as an easy way for them to meet like-minded people with similar interests. In 1984, he was even engaged to marry someone from this group, but she ended up leaving him for someone else. Speaking on hindsight, probably a good thing. Next one, another little weird fact. He didn't want to step on anyone else's toes. During his intense period of questioning with the police, Ridgway made clear he wanted credit for all the murders he committed, but very explicitly stated more than once that he didn't want to take credit for murders someone else committed. When asked why, he replied, quote, Why, if it isn't mine? Because I have pride in what I do. I don't want to take it from anybody else. End quote. Alright, next one. Ridgway practiced his moves on his wife. Ridgway's second wife, Marcia Winslow, divorced him in 1981, a year before his prolific killing spree began. His relationship with her sounds a bit like a trial run for his subsequent crimes. She attests to his love of bondage, admits he choked her, and tells of having sex with Ridgway outside by the Green River. On outdoor walks, Ridgway would also walk away from her into the woods, then sneak up behind her to surprise her. Winslow also attests that Ridgway would practice walking silently so he could more easily sneak up on her. I'm not really going to judge the bondage part, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. That's all I'm going to say about that. Next fact. He may have killed as a teenager. Gary Ridgway has two very distinct memories of assaulting people in his youth. Though admitted, he can't remember whether these things actually happened. In one memory, he drowns another boy in a lake. As it turns out, two boys drowned in that lake when Ridgway was growing up, but it was never confirmed whether either was his victim. In another memory, Ridgway, aged 16, stabbed a much younger boy in the woods. The boy survived and escaped, though Ridgway was never arrested for the crime. According to some accounts, this actually happened, and both Ridgway and the victim recall Gary laughing and saying, quote, I always wondered what it would be like to kill, end quote, and he said that as he walked away from the scene of the crime. Next fact. His mother was seriously creepy. Mary Ridgway, Gary's mom, was a serious creep. Gary was a chronic bedwetter, and whenever he wet his sheets, Mary gave him a cold shower, barely clothed herself, and spent a particularly long time washing Gary's private parts. She would also regale her young son with stories of measuring men for suits at the department store where she worked providing ample detail of the smell of their crotches and how they would get aroused when she touched them. 
Jesus. Some fucking Norman Bates shit right there. It's kind of... Fucking almost threw up there. Anyway. Another fucked up fact. Going back to the Norman Bates thing. He wanted to sleep with his mother. Then injure her. Ridgway admitted to having sexual fantasies about his mother as a teenager. Specifically, he wanted to have violent sex with her, then slit her throat with a kitchen knife. His goal was to scar her neck for life. Apparently, he envisioned a superficial throat slitting because he felt he could never live up to her expectations. That's pretty much right on point with Norman Bates, actually. Next one. He preferred teenagers to older victims. Most of Ridgway's victims were teenagers, and he preferred his women young. In his own words, they were less likely to try to con him than older women. Explaining further, Ridgway said, quote, I talked to them before I had sex with them, and she'd say, I've only done this a few times before. I mean, if she's 13 or 14 years old, you figure that's true. If you get one that's 20 or 25 that talks the slang and everything, and they say, I've only done this a few times, they probably got an arrest record and they're lying. But the young ones stood out more when they talked when they were dying. End quote. Next one. Ridgway asked his victims to use the bathroom before sex. When you're dying, you become incontinent. As Ridgway quickly learned after his first few victims... To avoid that mess, Ridgway asked the prostitutes he picked up to empty their bladders before he took them to bed, since he planned on murdering them immediately after sex. Just keep that thought in the back of your, back of your mind, ladies. Alright, next one. His father never stood up to his mother. Mary Ridgway was as violent with her husband as she was inappropriately sexual with her son. She would scream at her husband and attack him, but she provoked little, if any, response. One of her many habits was breaking plates over her husband's head, only to have him stand up and walk out of the room without saying anything. Next little creepy fact. He practiced necrophilia. Over time, Ridgway lost his ability to be aroused by a living person. So he would kill his victims, then have sex with them, while their corpses were still warm. When he first began practicing necrophilia, Ridgway buried his victims close to his home, so he could return to them, dig them up, and have sex with them again, if the urge struck. Of course, by his own admission, he would have to wipe away maggots before having sex with the bodies. Jesus, man. I don't even know what the fuck I'm reading right now. Goddamn. Anywho, next one. He tried to wean himself off of necrophilia. Ridgway eventually became disgusted with his own sexual fantasies and practices, and so tried to wean himself off of the practice of returning to buried corpses for sex. He began disposing of remains far enough away from his house that it would be a major inconvenience to return to them. Eh, that's fair, I suppose. And uh, here we got our last little fact, and it is Ridgway's dad introduced him to necrophilia. 
Ridgway's father worked in a morgue. He would often entertain his young son with stories of his co-workers having sex with the corpses at work. Ridgway admitted the idea of having sex with a corpse was a sexual fantasy of his when he came of age because there was no attachment. The victim couldn't feel it, and no one would get caught. And those are your creepy facts about Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. As you can see, this is probably a psychologist and a criminologist wet fucking dream, some creepy fucking shit, but I figured it'd be a nice little bonus episode while we're waiting for my uh, couple full-length episodes to come out, so I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, I'll see you on the flip side.